Hello and welcome to Community Connections. I'm your host, Chuck Curlin, and today we are connecting with Anna Trout, who is the Crisis and Diversion Director from the Montgomery County Office of Mental Health, along with Maura Tamalti, who is the Director of Mobile Service Access Services. Ladies, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So Maura, I'll, I'll lead off with you. Um, obviously, you're with the Mobile Service Access Services. What does that detail? So what that is, is a 24-hour mobile crisis hotline and service. The mobile component is we go out into the community and we meet with people there, but we're also 24-hour phone support. Uh, so there is a variety of things we can do, such as just consultation. Hey, I'm worried about somebody. Um, help me think through what the options are or resources. We can come out and offer like crisis counseling to people, connection to other services and supports, um, and whatever. We're really flexible. We wear a lot of hats. And you work in conjunction with Anna. Correct. And, and Anna being the director, how does everything mesh together for you as well? Oh, that's a good question. So I work for the county of Montgomery and I work in the Office of Mental Health, which is within our Department of Health and Human Services. So basically our job is to oversee the public mental health system. It would be anything that has to do with public funding for help with mental health or anywhere that the public might interact when it comes to a crisis or their mental health needs. And so what we do is we oversee the contract actually for mobile crisis. And that's how Maura and I work so closely mm -hmm. together because we as a county saw a need. We need this service. We need this for people who live here and access services as a provider stepped up and said, I think this is something that we can do. And they ended up with the contract for it. And now that's the service that they provide. Mm -hmm. So the two of you actually working together mm -hmm. I'm curious, I'll throw this question out there. What type of um, like public education or training is available? Who would like to take that? You can start. I'll let you start so with that we, one. One of the areas that we work closely together on would be on our suicide prevention task force. And we have a training and education initiative through that that focuses primarily on a national model of training called Question, Persuade, Refer. But in working closely with the mobile crisis team and all the experience and things that they see, we're able to take um, training and content and look at who the audience is, right? Are we talking to a community of faith? Are we talking to a school? Are we talking to law enforcement? And really tailor it to say, here's what you need to know about if you or someone you love is having a hard time. And we do it for free. We go out to people. Usually they're anywhere from half an hour to three hours, depending on what people need. And I know through your role at Crisis, you do a lot of consultation with people yep. and sort of looking at, okay, here's a situation that happened. What could be better? Mm -hmm. And another program that we have is called Hope for Tomorrow. That's specifically for the school setting. So we partner with Minding Your Mind, which is a group of young speakers with lived experience. Mm -hmm. And what that is for schools is to really how to help bolster them in their own wellness and coping. Once again, talking about how do they get connection to support adults in their lives that they can trust and also talk about signs and symptoms so they can worry. It's very interactive. They can like text in answers and you watch the charts mm -hmm. go up and down. So that's a specific one that we do for schools. Well, and I know you're saying uh, that it's free, so there's no cost, right. but how would someone get signed up for this? So a person who would be interested could either call our office directly, 610-278-3642, um, and say that they're interested in education opportunities for mental health. Um, there's also a Facebook presence. If someone's on Facebook or social mm -hmm. media, they can always look up the Department of Health and Human Services or Access Services. Um, if someone interacts with the mobile crisis team for an actual crisis, but then says, hey, I would love for my neighbors to know more about this, they can always let them know and sort of build yeah. from there. Because what we know is, 
mental health and crisis and hardship and struggle, they impact so many people. It's not something that just happens to that family over there or that neighborhood or that community. It's in everybody's lives. And so we have to sort of get rid of the shame around saying, I want to know more about how I can be helpful. And on that note, who would you recommend to sign up for something like this? Everybody, uh, okay. <laughs> but particularly people who are in a position um, to maybe be a leader within their sphere of influence. So if you are with, um, if you're with a place of worship and you have the opportunity either through an education council or to speak um, during during a time of worship to share the message that way. If you work in a school, if you're the coach of a team, if you own your own medical practice and you see people who come in for physical needs, but the whole person includes their mental needs, let us know. Let's get something together and, and invite people over to learn. And so much of that is, is about prevention, as we talk about, too. Like, I know the name of our program is Montgomery County Mobile Crisis. I would also love to say, I think, because there can be stigma around the word crisis and people are like, I'm, I'm not in crisis. But it's just support for somebody having a hard day. All as adults at some point in our life experience depression, anxiety, life things happen. Mm -hmm. And so when those symptoms persist or our coping skills are overwhelmed and we're not feeling relief from that, that's often when it continues and more distress happens and compounds. So any way that we can just, how do you support someone when you notice that they're not themselves lately and start a conversation and let them know that they're cared about and help them get connected to services? So would you say that's sort of like what people would learn if they're going through this type of training? Is that work in conjunction? Yeah, so we try to break it down and cover at least sort of four main areas. What does it look like when somebody's having a hard time? What are you noticing for? What might be a little bit outside the norm of sort of a healthy range of things can be hard, but what about when they're too hard? And then it's how do you ask someone about that? It can be an awkward conversation to say, is there something wrong, right? Yeah. And then once you feel like there is something wrong, how do you persuade someone to get help? Or in the case of suicide prevention, how do you persuade someone to stay alive long enough to get help? And then where is that help? What does that even mean? It's not just this sort of vague term of, oh, help is available, but concretely, there's a mobile crisis team. There are places you can go to. You're not in this alone. So we sort of break it into those categories. You don't need to be every, know everything. You don't need to be exactly. an expert. You're never yeah. helping alone. People always have your back. Well, warning signs always play a big factor. Is there any obvious signs that you should look for? Well, we and when we do our trainings, we sort of break them into three main categories: the mm -hmm. things people say, the things they do, and the things that are happening in their lives. And any one of those things doesn't necessarily mean that a person is at risk, but it's an invitation to have more of a conversation and find out what's going on. So um, I know for the things people say, if someone says, I can't do this anymore, or I feel overwhelmed, or pretty soon you won't have to worry about me, or I'm going to kill myself. If you hear those things that we say, okay, tell me more about that. I'm worried about you. What does that mean? Um, then there's these things people do, right? Some behaviors that you might see. That can include giving away them like their things, um, sometimes there's like increased anger. Sometimes there's also a sense of peace because they've made a decision and they seem really calm all of a sudden. So I think anything that's out of a norm often, you know, in males, depression can look like anger instead of sadness. Um, so whenever you just, the, the behavioral things of that, um, just a change in behavior that's consistent, being withdrawn, isolated, canceling activities, not hanging out anymore, not answering the phone. Mm -hmm. And then you have your situations, right? So things like someone who's been fired or lost a loved one or a major relationship has fallen apart or there's an anticipated loss of financial security. Those are all mm -hmm. things that weigh on a person. And when you combine that with some of the other things going on, could mean someone's at risk. Uh, age, does that play a factor, would you say? Is that a fair question? Like, I know the millennials today, because of the work situation, they might be depressed or... Mm -hmm. 
obviously isolation with senior citizens, sure. like they're by themselves and mm -hmm. not much going on. Do you see a difference in when you're out presenting? So mental health or suicide crisis can impact anyone across the whole age spectrum, but it does look sometimes different in different people. So okay. for young people, um, struggle, really they hold it in their bodies and you'll have unexplained headaches or stomach aches. Um, for people who are older, just like you said, you might see people isolating more. You might see them changing. They seem very different from how they used mm -hmm. to seem. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the data is around um, like the middle age population, especially with the um, baby boomers getting older now. Um, and males often are um, die by suicide, mm -hmm. um, but women often have more attempts. You talked a little bit about uh, asking somebody about mental health issues. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, so we emphasize a lot how important it is to be aware of each other. Curiosity is a very good thing, um, but that we can't help somebody if we don't know what's going on. And oftentimes there's sort of this feeling of maybe I shouldn't ask somebody if they're having a hard time with their mental health because maybe they'll be embarrassed or maybe they don't want to talk about it. Uh, but what we find a lot is that there's a lot of relief in somebody mm -hmm. asking the question because when you ask the question, you open the door and you say, it's okay to talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, and so the best advice that I think that we can give through trainings or through one-on-one -on -one sort of consultation is to say, we you ask openly and clearly and directly and without judgment. You say, I've been worried about you. Here are some things that I've noticed. Are you feeling okay? Sometimes mm -hmm. people get depressed. That happens. Is that happening for you? Um, and try to get as much information as you can. Now, Mar, now do you have any tips on how you would yeah. tackle this okay. issue? I would say practice. Like I, I think about one of the first times even professionally I had to ask that question a decade ago compared to now. And just practicing that and becoming more comfortable. Think about how you would want someone to ask you. I think, like, think about it. It's, it don't overthink it either. Right. You don't have to plan everything out and be perfect. But if, if it's somebody you care about, doing it in a relational way is so important that people, that you create a safe space so that people know it comes from a place of caring, not judgment, mm -hmm. and that you want to be there for them. Yeah, because it's not an easy thing. It's difficult. And I'm sure the two of you find it challenging to express that and convey when you're out speaking publicly on this. Yeah. And so a lot of times, if you can encourage people to infuse gratitude into asking the question, thank you for trusting me. Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And then kind of like how Maura said, how would you want it to be asked? Well, how then would you want people to act after it's been asked? So mm -hmm. speaking about people respectfully, even when they're not around, all sort of sets this tone that I'm a safe person to talk to. So then when something is really wrong, they can come to you and they can say, I'm not okay and I need help. And you've established yourself as a person that they can go to. Yeah, because you think sometimes people might be afraid mm -hmm. because it's a very tumultuous situation. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that you shouldn't ask the question, I guess, is what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some examples yes. for how not to ask oh, okay. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, nothing's wrong with you, is there? Okay. What's your problem? What's yeah. going, you know, anything that sort of conveys there's something wrong with you. Because mm -hmm. it's not that there's something wrong with the person, it's that there's something happening in that person's life that is starting to feel like it's too much. That's what it is. And if we approach it with that understanding, we're going to be able to ask in a way that's helpful, in a way that doesn't shut them off. Okay. Yeah, it's because it's very, it's very, it's a very touchy yeah. issue, that's for sure. I think a way to lead by example with that is we, we talk about who are the safe people in your life? How are you talking to them when you're in a good place and saying, hey, if I want you to know, I want you to tell me if you see any changes in me or times when I'm really stressed. Sometimes I don't notice it because I'm, I'm super in whatever is happening in my life and I don't have the perspective to see that. So communicating with people ahead of time of, 
hey, when I start doing this, this, and this, call me out on that, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever language you use or whatever friendship, but also leading by example by doing that, I think planning ahead. So that person knows they asked me to do this. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the less, the less difficult it'll be, right? So if I was sitting here and suddenly had a nosebleed, you would have no problem saying to me, are you okay, right? right? But if I'm your friend and you haven't seen me at work in a while or my behavior is distinctly different, that's harder to ask about but how the, it's also, it's still a sign mm. that maybe something's wrong and somebody should see if I'm okay. Yeah, and you mentioned the signs. So, okay, now you've noticed that there are warning signs of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? What do you do? Right. Yeah, you ask a person and you try to find a time when you have enough time and you try to find a time when um, it, it works for the person, but you don't want to wait too long because if you're if your intuition is going off, if you're saying, man, I think there's something wrong. I think maybe they're not doing really well. I think they might be on the verge of either hurting themselves or I think that they might lose their job or something really bad could happen. You want to ask as quickly as you can. And if you can't, if you feel like you can't, then you go to the professionals and you say, help me ask or you ask because someone needs to. And I think too, there's a lot of times you see it through they're coping, but maybe using coping skills that are harmful to them. And as you mentioned, there's a there's a plethora of things out there, such as you know disordered eating. There's anxiety. There's depression. Mm -hmm. There is you know substance use sometimes to manage the depression, anxiety. And so there's so many things that you can see, and th that's a place of saying I'm concerned about you too, and saying I want you to get support or recognizing sometimes those are what you're seeing is symptoms of a larger issue, and there's feelings and there's stuff going on underneath all of that. Well, you mentioned like handing it off to a professional. You know, if you're going through this with your friend, how do you know at what point mm -hmm. should you hand it over to a professional? Is that repetitive or is that something that you can expand upon? Uh, see, that's a very good question because I wish there was a super clear, easy answer that says, when you get to step B, this is where you <laughs> hand it off. Right. But so much of it depends on what the situation is and how things feel. As a helper, when you start to feel out of your depth, when you start to feel a little overwhelmed, it's time to get someone else in to have your back and to help out. Um, anytime that the topic is something that might be life or death, we're having a conversation and suicide comes up or hurting somebody else comes up or I haven't eaten in a week comes up or I haven't slept in five days comes up. That's when you want to talk to somebody and say, even if you think maybe the person could be okay, you want to talk to somebody and say, I want to run by you what I just talked about and make sure everything's fine. Um, because there are people who have a hard time, but then just asking you about it you suddenly feel better and connected and you don't need a therapist. You don't need to go talk to a doctor. You're going to be okay. But if it feels like there's a gray area, if it feels like you're not sure, ask somebody. I would say the biggest piece of doing that well is doing it with the person. It can be really scary to go like get help on your own. I, when I'm in schools, I talk about, you know, sometimes ask your friend if you want them to walk to the guidance counselor's office mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you're calling mobile crisis, can I call with you? Mm -hmm. I'll meet them with you. I think doing things with people. Um, and that helps, I can say, for us as mobile crisis, because we're strangers meeting somebody on the first time that they're going through something. So to say, I'm not sure what to do, but I want to do this with you. And I know some people who can help us figure out what's next together. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about mobile crisis is we don't come out. We don't tell you what you need to do. We just help you. There is, there's so many resources out there. I think a lot of times people think either psychiatric inpatient or just outpatient therapy. And there's a whole like wild amount of supports out there, both both services that are paid for and just even community resources where people can connect and get support. So being able to do that and knowing that we're not going to come out there and tell you what you need to do or what type of support you need, but let you decide what's going to be best for you at that point in time. Yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned when you're at the schools and mm -hmm. you're doing a presentation, 
do you feel like, uh, first of all, the age bracket of the children or adults you're dealing with? And what are the reactions when you're trying to show, like, I'm interested, like, say a high school student, you're yeah. presenting this to a high school student. Yeah. Do you feel like you have their attention? Are they engaged? Do they ask questions? Mm -hmm. Is that something that you deal with on a regular basis? They do. I'm, you know, you always think that they don't. Once they get going, they're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think how people realize how common it is that if you pull, if you're in a room of high school students and you pull them and say, how many people in this room themselves have thought about suicide or have struggled or have depression, anxiety, and they can anonymously text in and answer that, the room, it's usually over 50% in that room or higher. And so to be able to just normalize, I think, is a big step of being able to talk about that and also validate life is hard, even as a teenager, or you haven't lived through a lot of things yet. So this is the first time you're dealing with hard stuff. So you have to develop those muscles like anything else of how do I get through hard things? What have I noticed is helpful? What do I notice isn't helpful? And that our mental wellness is just as important as our physical wellness. On that note, before we go to break, I'm like you to share any type of contact information. If someone would like you yep. to come to the school and present, what, how would they do it? So they can just call the hotline and ask for me. Uh, I'm Maura Tumulty, the director. And the hotline number, which is 24 hours a day, is 855-634-4673. Perfect. We still have more coming your way here on Community Connections. We'll be right back after these messages. Nobody likes an awkward silence. You can actually use it for something good. You haven't really been yourself lately. Are you okay? Find out how you can help a friend with their mental health at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Welcome back to this edition of Community Connections. So again, I'm Chuck Curlin. I'm here with Anna and Maura, and both of you being part of the Montgomery County Office of Mental Health and Mobile Service Access Service. As we were going to break, Maura, I go to you first. Um, you were talking about um, how you gave your contact information, especially somebody if you were in a school setting. Yeah. Is there any type of uh, service that you can offer them now that if they were looking like, is there a teen talk line or mm -hmm. some type of form that you could share? Yep. So there is warm lines where people can just contact if they want to talk to somebody. And so there is one for teens and there's also ones for adults. So it's a lot of phone numbers. So I did write them down. <laughs> so the peer support talk line, which is for adults. So they are open seven days a week from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. And on the other end of that line are certified peer specialists. And they're all people with lived experience themselves and on their journey of recovery, whether that's with a mental health diagnosis or substance use or just people who've gone through grief and loss. So they are there just to talk to you if you need someone to. Um, there's been one woman who's called every single day since we opened many years ago. Wow. Um, so it's just a nice point of connection. So that number to call is 855-715-8255. Mm -hmm. There's also an option to text. And that number to text would be 267-225-7785. Then there is a teen talk line specifically for teens and staffed by teen volunteers. So also if teens are looking for somewhere to volunteer, this is a great opportunity. We do host at some schools and at our own office. So that is supervised actually by a former crisis worker. So she really supports and trains them to make sure that they're not taking on too much, but just teens having a place and having someone that they can text and talk to anonymously. So they really enjoy texting more than calling in the adult world. And that text number is 215-703-8411. And the call number, if they do want to call and talk, is 866-825-8556. 
So they are open Monday through Friday from three to nine. And a lot of times people are just calling because they're feeling isolated, they're feeling sadness, they're having stress at work, they're having stress at school. So you can really, some people call because they had a good day and they just want to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. So there's really no reason or not, no reason not to call. The, the thing that caught my attention was they can text. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes a text could be misconstrued. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any training on that? Because you know, texting, you could say something, and yeah. it could totally mean something totally different, but somebody on that crisis line or could say, wait, we have a problem here. Yeah. So there is training for both the staff of the peer support talk line and the teen talk line. And in addition to that, they're, both programs are connected to mobile crisis. So whenever there is a concern, they can immediately just transfer it over to us in mobile crisis and crisis workers um, take that on. And at the same time, it's really nice because crisis workers can get people connected to these phone numbers and these programs as well as to have an opportunity to have someone to talk to after a crisis event is over. Well, you mentioned that there were some positives, like people would sometimes yeah. write text saying, I'm having a great day. Yeah. What would some of the negative stuff mm -hmm. be, I'd say? So people call just a sadness and loneliness is a lot one. We, we see that too a lot in the older population that maybe isn't as mobile and uh, their family moved away and just having some connection and have someone to talk to. Um, bullying at school or just issues with homework or parents feeling like your parents don't understand you or issues with friend groups or siblings. Um, issues at work is a lot of things that adults talk about and just the stress of work and just having a place to talk about it or maybe it's not a formal like therapy setting but just having someone to talk to about that that's just for you. If domestic violence came into mm -hmm. play would they handle that or would they pass it off? Well we're always happy to as mobile crisis, I like to say we're kind of the catch-all. So we will, you know, help that. There are special domestic violence programs in the county and we want to help with a person in specifically in that moment, make sure things are stable and then make sure they get connected to those specific domestic violence supports. I think that's something important for people to understand if they were to utilize mm -hmm. either the mobile crisis team or any of the talk lines is that they are really there as an initial point of contact. And for a lot of people, if I am feeling lonely and I have had a rough day, sometimes I just need to tell someone that I let out the pressure and then I can go on and I can be okay. They're there to help sort of triage and figure that out. If you needed someone to talk to, then we talked, let's make a plan how you'll be okay tomorrow. And then we wish you a good day. If they need more than that, right? Like if it's a serious domestic violence situation where they're going to need someone to help them get out of that home or to, to get involved with the legal system, to put some legal protections around them, then what the mobile crisis team is going to say is, are you safe in this moment? Do we need to take emergency action? If not, let us help you connect you to a real um, professional domestic violence intervention program here in this county and what they can do for you. So that's one of our big things is we never say, well, that's not us. We don't do that. Okay. We say we want to take care of you in this moment right now. And then even if it's not something we specialize in, we're going to get you connected and give you the resource information for the program that does specialize it in the county. Exactly. Same thing for substance abuse. They're mm -hmm. not going to be a long-term counselor for somebody who's struggling with alcoholism, but they can talk to that family member or that person on that phone in that moment, figure out, okay, what does this person need to be safe for the next couple of days? Do you, do you have questions about how you get funding if you don't have insurance? Do you have questions about what's available? There's different levels of care. They'll answer those questions. They'll make a safety plan and then help connect that person to the people in that drug and alcohol field in that world for the longer term support and services. Yeah, you, you an just answered my next question was <laughs> substance abuse because I'm mm -hmm. thinking that could definitely be a sign because there are ups and downs psychologically yeah. when they're not getting their fix and they come to re the realization that, hey, I, I want to 
clean myself up mm-hmm. because it's a disease yeah. and they really don't have any control about that. And that's why I was curious, who would, how would you direct that to a professional? So a lot of that is is helping people navigate the system. If you've never had to do that before or experience that and it's your first time, it can be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about just trying to call the back of my own insurance card sometime and mm-hmm. you get put on hold and just knowing what to ask for too. You know, what's the lingo? What should I should be saying? So just being able to go out, talk to a family about what does the support look like? How can we help make calls if, if somebody does want to go to rehab that day? How do you navigate that? How do you walk through that? If they don't want to do that, how do you know when they're ready? You know, we're here for that too. And it's okay. It's not like um, if you say no to services and then you change your mind three months later, we'll be there to support you. Um, So I think a lot of times too, when we talked about people before who aren't ready for help in regardless of what that is, I think just planting seeds and knowing that there's people that care about them. Mm -hmm. And when they do choose and want support, that there's a number that they can call to help them navigate that. Is there a gender specific on reaching out for help? And what, what I am, what I'm saying is, do you see, you sort of have one uh, more women calling saying that they need help or uh, obviously there's different disease states too. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you're not going to get a lot of guys calling about bulimia mm-hmm. or they're, they're not eating. Mm-hmm. Do you see that on your everyday basis as well? We have actually had some men call even just about body image issues and how that's produced anxiety for them. So there really is a lot. Um, Our top referral sources, though, are from uh, people, family and friends calling about someone that they're concerned about. We see people calling for themselves, police and schools. So it really the numbers are about the same in terms of male versus female of individuals that we support. So it's hard to say specifically, though, of then breaking it down and individuals calling for themselves. Gotcha. I will say from the perspective of the community trainings that we Mm -hmm. do, when we hold awareness events and we invite people to come out and come learn about how to help yourself or help a loved one, um, the majority of the folks who come are women and mothers. Mm -hmm. And so if we could, we would love to see more men and fathers and uncles and coaches and brothers come because we know baby boomer aged men um, are at high risk for the adverse effects of mental health crisis and feeling suicidal. And so we would love to get to talk to them too and hear their feedback and what they need and what would be helpful to them. Is it um, to get like like say like a a sports group involved, is that somewhere that you'd say, hey, let's share this because you know, winning and losing sometimes could play a big, yes. put a big weight on a child's mind because yeah. in this day and age, everybody's trying to get to the NBA or yeah. get to the NFL. Yeah. And if they don't feel that they're there, yeah. it could cause issues. I'm glad you said that too, because it brings up this great point. When you're interacting with someone and you think maybe there's something wrong or you're encouraging them to get help, we always want to be really careful not to quantify grief. Mm-hmm. So winning or losing a game could be a tremendous amount of stress on a young person. Um, something like getting expelled from school. We're adults, we know you'll be okay. Like you'll go back, it'll be fine. But when you're a young person, that feels like a huge deal. It and does. even the same thing as we get older, you know, even with let's say the divorce rate being really high, that doesn't mean it's not extraordinarily hard on the person going through it at the time. And so we never wanna be dismissive of maybe what that person is carrying around. Um, and, and what it feels like for them. So that's, I'm glad you brought that up. And I would say it's not necessarily events, it's how a person experiences the event. The event. So a lot of times the common themes that I see in terms of feelings when people describe how they feel when they're in crisis is overwhelmed, directionless, there's some sort of loss, hopelessness. So there's always shame, shame yeah. is a feeling. So there's always these feelings underneath, regardless of what the event is. And I think that's to your point of we can't quantify that this is a harder thing than this because yeah. we're all humans and we experience things differently. Exactly. 
Well, time is of the essence here. I know we could talk about this forever. We're going to have to wrap up the program, but before we do so, would either one of you like to share the contact information one more time before we say sayonara? Sure. So the, the mobile crisis, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is 855-634-4673. And once again, you don't need to be in crisis. You don't have to be thinking about suicide or homicides or call, really, just any kind of hey, I need navigation, I need help support. I might, maybe I'm losing my home or maybe I lost my job. Um, maybe I'm just having an anxiety attack and I need someone to talk to. So there's there's never um, there's never a reason not to call. Uh, Maura, Anna, thank you very much for sharing this information. And we'd like to thank you for watching. From all of us here at UMGA TV, I'm Chuck Curlin. Thank you for watching this edition of Community Connection.